Thanks, Amy. Um, I got to go to the DR with the team at the beginning of October. It really is something to be there. Uh, is something quite different than seeing the pictures and hearing a report. To, to meet the, the, the nationals that are working there day in and day out uh, to do the work of the ministry there, to share the gospel with the communities, to, 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 to be there to help them in their times of need. And we just get to come in and support them and support the staff. And literally, whatever they tell us to do, our response is, okay, let's do it. Because they're the ones that are there. We are just a very small uh, cog in a huge wheel of ministry that's going on in the DR. And, and uh, if you get a chance to go, or even if you're interested to go, I do encourage you to come this afternoon right after the service to the interest meeting just to find out more. It's a super, super great ministry. Well, we are going to be uh, in uh, Colossians. Um, oops. Let me turn that on. All right. Um, um, and and if, uh, if you came in a little bit late, let me give you a welcome and, and tell you that I am glad that you're here. I'm glad that we can worship together today. My name is, is Fred. I'm the lead pastor here. And here's uh, what I, I hope that happens today. I hope um, that as we continue in the series, uh, that we leave here more uh, changed, more affirmed in our identity in Christ uh, than we did when we came in, and that we allow our identity in Christ to actually seep out and change our behavior. And as Amy talked about, about the values of our church here, uh, that we do pray that this is a place of hope, healing, and inspiration. What I've also been praying is that we leave here with deeper roots in Jesus to make that happen. And so with that, you can turn to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17 is where we're going to be today. And just, just a reminder, because we had four others uh, last Sunday, just a reminder, what we've seen in, in this book is that Paul has reminded uh, the Colossians uh, who they are in Christ. And through them, he's reminding us who we are in Christ. And then he tells us that because of that, because of who we are in Christ, because of our identity in Christ, we actually have the power within us uh, to change our behavior and to live a whole new way of life. And, and what Paul is doing is he's simply, simply saying that, listen, if Jesus is the core of your life, you cannot be the same person you were before. For Jesus. That what he does when he enters a life, what he does when he enters a soul is he changes everything. And as our title, as our series title is called, he makes all things new. Now, theologians have a term for this, it's called sanctification, right? And it's the process by which we progressively change over our life when the reality of Jesus seeps more and more and becomes more and more real to us. And now one of the things that, that we talk about here at Fellowship, and I mentioned it two weeks ago, is, is what we look for is we look for progression, not perfection in this, right? Because spiritual growth is best measured really in years, not, not weeks, not days, certainly not moments, right? Because it's like, it's like any good, gra for my data nerds, who, who are people here that love data? Okay, so th okay. So our future deacons of finance just raised their hands. Everybody else, yay, it's church. Aren't y'all glad to be here? Um, uh, but if you look at a good graph, like 
like, it'll have all these data points on it, won't it? And if you look at each data point, you'll see this. But when you step back and you look at the long, the long trend of the graph, that's what you want to see. And that's what sanctification is, right? right? In, in your days and in your weeks, you'll have these up and downs in your spiritual life. But if you step back and look, like, like what is today? November, what is today? November 12th, thank you. November 12th. November 12th. 2022 compared to November 12th, 2023, are you walking in more faith and trust in Jesus today than you were a year ago? If so, that's called sanctification. That's called Jesus, Jesus being rooted in you. And that's what Paul is talking about, right? And so in verse 12, he says this. He says, put on then. Right? So chapter 3, verse 12. First three words, put on then. Or some of your versions may have put on therefore. Right? And the reason it's therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask what's the therefore therefore. Right? Because it is a marker to say, hey, look back. What, what has Paul just talked about? In verse 5, he told us to put to death some things. Right? And here's what I love about our Bible. You can't take something off without the Bible giving you something to put on, right? Because that'd just be embarrassing, wouldn't it, right? You can't take something off without having something else to put on, right? Our goal of our faith is not to empty ourselves, right? Other religions have that as a goal. That is not the goal of our faith. Our faith is not to empty ourselves, but to fill ourselves, to fill ourselves up with Jesus, to fill ourselves up with the Holy Spirit, to fill ourselves up, as we'll see in just a minute, with the Word of God. Even John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming in John 3.30, he said, he said, I must decrease, right? I've got to empty myself, and he must increase, right? Our goal is not just to empty, but our goal is to empty so there's a greater vessel to be filled with Jesus. See, our goal isn't emptiness. Our goal is the fullness of Jesus and by, by the filling of the Holy Spirit. But before t- Paul tells you what to do, before he tells you what to put on, he's going to again remind you of something. He's going to remind you of who you are because he uses this term, therefore, put, he says, put on therefore as God's chosen ones in the rest of verse 12. He says, He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Because here's what he does. He knows that some of his readers are Jewish in their heritage, right? And they know their Old Testament. And when he uses this word chosen one, he wants those that that, uh, understand the Old Testament to remember other people that have been chosen, to remember Abraham that was chosen, right? He was called out of his homeland of Ur to start an entire nation to point to God. Moses was chosen, right? And he was summoned by God to lead the nation of Israel out of captivity. David was chosen among all his brothers to be the king of Israel. Even the very nation of Israel was chosen among all the nations of the world to point to the one true God. And what he's saying to these people in Colossae is he is saying, hey, you are chosen by God as well. You see, the story of our Bible isn't just about these heroes of our faith. Abraham, Moses, David. What he's telling them is that the story of our faith is about heroes like you. Regular people chosen by God. And see, he wants them to remember that they too were selected by God 
that they too were chosen by God. And because they're chosen for God, he's reminding them of who they are, that this is the reason that we change because we're walking by faith in this God. But he doesn't stop there because he also tells them that you are holy and beloved. Now, here's the deal. How, how many of you, let's just take eh, Monday morning, right? Getting the kids off to school, weekend's over, you got to get back to work. How many of you, if I were to call and say, hey, how are you feeling right now? The first words out of your mouth would be like, Fred, I feel holy and beloved right now. (laughs) Now, So how can we, as people who don't see ourselves as holy and beloved, how can Paul see the Colossians as holy and beloved? How can, how can we, as followers of Jesus, be holy and loved? How, beloved? How is this possible? Because remember, Paul has talked about we are hidden in Christ. That when we say yes to Jesus, somehow in the supernatural world, somehow in the spiritual world, somehow in God's economy, what that means is that when God sees us, he sees his son. And Jesus is holy. And because he is holy, guess what? We are holy. Jesus is the beloved son of God. And because he is beloved, guess what we are? Beloved. Because when God sees us, he sees his son. And Paul is saying, put on therefore, put on then, as a chosen people, as a holy and beloved people, right? Put this on. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want this to sink in. And so I want you to say this with me. I want you to say, I am hidden in Christ. I am chosen, holy, and beloved. Are you ready? I want it to sink in. Let's do it. I am hidden in Christ. I am chosen, holy, and beloved. Let's do that again because you, you did a good job, right? You, did, you really did. But do you believe it? Because here's the deal, y'all, counseling 101, your brain tells you what you know, your feelings tell you what you believe, right? That's how you can know God is your provider, but when you get that unexpected bill and and you fear, you know God is your provider, but your feelings are telling you maybe not this time, right? Let's say it again, and let's believe it. Right? Let's do it. I am hidden in Christ. I am chosen, holy, and beloved. And with that, let's see what Paul tells us to put on. Right? Verse 12. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Right? He tells us to put on compassion. Now, this word compassion is interesting because, because it has this picture of like, of like this move in your gut for mercy. Like, like compassion isn't just this, this, this you see somebody in pain, you hear of someone in pain, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Right? It is like, oh my gosh, how, how, are, you, how are you doing this? How are you even like... I'm so proud of you for getting up and getting out of bed this morning. That's compassion. It is moving with people. It's, it's, it's feeling what other people feel. When they hurt, you hurt. When they're joyful, you're joyful. Kindness. Kindness in Greek is an interesting word because it actually means useful. Right? It means usefulness. 
right? It's a, this is a kind person knows how to treat people, right? A kind person is known for being gracious and, and having gentle acts. Humility is the ability to exalt someone above yourself, right? To see them as nobility. Like think of the, think of the stinkiest, meanest, vilest person you know, Right? Humility allows you to, at the very least, see the image of God in them and to have compassion for them. Here's a list of people that Jesus exalted. He exalted children who were commonly ignored. Remember, he said, bring the little children to me. He exalted beggars, which were considered the absolutely lowest of classes. He exalted traitors, I mean, uh, tax collectors, which were considered traitors, right? He exalted sinners, who were people you didn't associate with if you were a good Jew. He exalted the sick, the disabled, and the demon-possessed because they were thought of as cursed by God. He exalted the Gentile, which would be us, with the foreigner, right? Because, because a Gentile, depending on where you were from in particular, It'd be similar to being a person from a country that produced terrorists. Jesus saw them and exalted them and and showed them humility and showed them mercy. He exalted the poor, again, which nobody wanted to be around. And he exalted women who were treated as property. He gave them dignity. Meekness and gentleness, this is not being impressed by your own importance. And Jesus, of all people, showed us this, didn't he? Like, he is the one who literally holds all things together. And there's this, there's this part in, in, in Jesus' life, you know, where he, he gets on a donkey and enters Jerusalem, and, and that's really cool. And there was this, this movie that I saw once, and I thought, oh, they captured a part of Jesus that, that in my imagination I hadn't thought of because... Because Jesus is, is in this movie getting on a donkey, and you know, the donkey's like this tall. Jesus could just hop right up on there. But one of his one of his followers leans down and puts his hands out for Jesus to step in. And instead of doing it himself, because you know, he is the Son of God, he stepped onto this guy's hands and let him help the Son of God sit on a donkey. And again, that's not in scripture, but I thought, man. The fact that whoever it was that wrote this and directed this saw that quality in Jesus, he, he or she got it right because Jesus was meek and he was gentle with people. And then patience is the ability to respond to people with acceptance is a great way to think about that. Now, as I went over these, like, how you doing? All right, like, were there parts you're like, oh, yeah, okay. I see why Paul put that one in there. Yeah, okay, I get it. Can I show you something cool? Because many commentators believe that, that verse 12, these put-ons, is a direct contradiction to verse 8, the things that Paul told us to put to death, right? And so if you remember in chapter 3, verse 8, this is what Paul said to put to death. He said, put to death anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And when you see those things compared to verse 12, look at what you get. You get anger and compassion. You get wrath and kindness. Malice 
and humility, slander and meekness, obscene talk and patience, right? And when you put those two together and you see what, what Paul is saying, hey, put this to death and instead put this on, right? With anger and compassion. In anger, we care more about our feelings than somebody else's. In compassion, we care about their feelings. It's not that we don't care about ours, but we also care about theirs. With wrath and kindness, with wrath we lose control. We kick stuff, we hit things. At worst, we hit people. Right? Right? What kindness does is it becomes useful. And kindness knows how to treat people. Wrath doesn't. Malice and humility. In malice, we see people as lowly. Right? And we use our words to hurt them and bring them down. But in humility, we see them as honored. And our words lift up instead of put down. With slander and meekness, slander puts you above others. Like this is what we do publicly. This is, this is where I say things to make you look bad so that I look good. Right? And what meekness does, right? meekness puts others above myself, even in public. Obscene talk and patience, I mean, that one's obvious, isn't it? Not that obscene talk is just about using bad words, but when do you use bad words? Right? Like, what's your panic word? It's probably not, God bless you. Right? At least not with sincerity. Right? Most of our obscene talk comes from impatience. And so we can put things to death and put on stuff. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at verse 8, right? And what in that list is the most needed? Uh, Patrick, put that slide back up because it may be helpful to see it. In verse 8, what is the most needed area in your life? Is it, is it, it, it like, are you an angry person, right? Are you a wrathful person? Do you lose control? Do you exercise malice? Do you exercise slander? Do you, do you cuss a lot or even a little and it bothers you? Right? Where do you want to see progress? What I want you to do is in your Bible, circle it. And then I want you to draw a line to the thing that Paul's telling you to put on. Right? I want you to draw a line and I want you to connect them because this week I want to see what would change if this is our prayer. Right? What if this is our prayer? Since I am hidden in Christ, since I am chosen, holy, and beloved, I can put off whatever you circled and take on whatever you circled. What would happen if, if because we believe that we are who Paul says we are, that we are hidden in Christ, that we are holy and beloved, therefore this, this old behavior doesn't fit us anymore. I can actually put that off. I can I can put that off, and in its place, I can put on something else. Now, remember, progression, not perfection. If you come back next Sunday and you say, Fred, I am no longer an angry person. I am done with that. I'll be like, great. I'm so glad. Check back with me next week. Check back with me. You've had family over for the holidays? Call me. Call me right after. 
call me right after and let's see how that's going, right? Like, like, like we want to see progression, not perfection. Where do you want to see progress? Well, to help us with all this, Paul brings these attitudes and actions all together. And y'all, what he does here is he looks at the church and it is so full of progression, not perfection. Because here's what he says after that. So verse, he just goes on to all these wonderful things to put on, right? And then in verse 13, he says this, bearing with one another, right? And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord God has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now bear with one another. And I love this phrase because right, Paul understands Jesus changes us over time. Sometimes he does miraculously get rid of stuff in an instant. And it is gone forever. But for the most part, he's changing us over time. And so what that means is we have to bear with one another as we are all changing and progressing in our identity in Jesus. It means we are going to get mad at each other. We are going to, to, to disagree with each other, right? And it means that we do whatever it takes to get along. We do not compromise the truth of Jesus, right? That stays central. And if somebody starts compromising the truth of Jesus, right, that means, that means it kind of ups the ante of what we have to do to, to, to be able to get along, Right? We don't compromise that. But with Jesus, we do whatever it takes to get along. And the key to this is what Paul says next, by forgiving each other. And forgiving means to let loose. It means to, to, to not hold a grudge. Listen, we are going to sin, and we're going to hurt each other when we do that. That's part of being human. That's part of the reason we need Jesus in the first place. That's part of the reason that I don't look for perfection is I've been doing ministry long enough to know that, that there is, is one perfect person and he ended up on a cross, right? Not us, but we need him. And so because of that, yes, we are going to sin against each other. Yes, we are going to hurt each other. But in Jesus, we can also forgive each other. And we can let, like, what that means is, is, is for me that I know I'm not the one that can change you. I'm just not. And I can let you go and let God do whatever he needs to do with you. And y'all, you know, I got to tell you what exhausts me as your pastor, and it flat wears me out when I see it in myself. So this is not a y'all, this, this is an us situation, is when we hold grudges against each other for these little bitty things. And it's the stuff that wears me out in myself and exhausts me as a pastor working with a congregation. It's like if we don't agree on these small matters of Scripture, it's like we separate and we can't get along. And we don't know how to interact with each other when we see each other at the store. And y'all, it's just weird. It's just weird. I got to tell you, Paul did not have that in mind. Jesus did not have that in mind. God does not have that in mind for his children. And here's what I mean by little things, right? It's those things that when you look at faithful, smart, well-studied servants of God, and they have different views on these things, that means we can have different views on these things. Again, it doesn't compromise the truth of Jesus. Honestly, a lot of it is about how we interact with each other and how the church is to interact as a church. 
And when I see people that, that I know and trust, and they are godly people, and they are well-studied people, and they know Greek and Hebrew like they have forgotten more than most of the people I know know. Like, like these are people that if they were standing up here teaching, you'd be like, Fred, I hope you, had a, I hope you enjoyed your run here. Because this person is the person that I'm going to listen to from now. I'd be like, great, I am so glad, me too, right? And those people can have different views on stuff like political issues. I just swallowed when I said that. Because y'all, I don't know if you've noticed, churches have divided over political issues. Which is so stupid. Because politics, I don't know if you know this, But trends in politics come and go. The church of God is here to stay. Politics is not a reason to divide a church. Churches have divided over the use of alcohol versus the use of versus not using alcohol. They've 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 divided over the issue of women in leadership. They're dividing right now on how we engage those of different sexual orientations, not how we approve or disapprove of them, but how do we have conversations with them? People are disagreeing over that. Stupid. It's absolutely stupid, and it wears me out. People have divided over the use of spiritual gifts in a church. Y'all, people have divided over the color of a carpet in a church. You think I'm kidding? Those of you who have been in church a while, like, he's not kidding, y'all. Like, people have left. It's stupid. And Paul says, bear with one another. Forgive one another. Because you have been forgiven in Christ. Church, that is our source of forgiveness, is Jesus. And knowing this, Jesus even told a parable. And y'all, this parable is so good, and I'm going to read it in the message because he uses financial language that, that's a little, a little foreign to us. But in Matthew 18, in the same chapter that it talks about how do we confront people in sin, right, Jesus shares this parable about forgiveness, right? It says this, and, and if you're not familiar with the message, the message is a paraphrase of the Bible. So it's a guy who took the, the, the Greek and the Hebrew and he put it in common English. So really anybody can understand it, which you'll see in a minute. And, and in Matthew, it says this. It says, at that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? And Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. And then Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. And he couldn't pay up. So the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off in the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance, I'll pay it all back. And touched by his plea... The king let him off and erased the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. The exact same thing this guy said to the king. But he wouldn't do it. 
He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. Until the other servants, when the other servants saw what was going on, they were outraged and brought the detailed report to the king. And the king summoned the man and said, you evil servant. I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and, and put the screws to the man until he had paid back the entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do with each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. How'd that sit? Right? Oh, that's Jesus. Jesus forgave us, and he forgave us unconditionally. When the people around us ask for forgiveness and we hold that back, that says more about our faith than it does theirs. Y'all, a grudge really is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Why not just forgive? Now, here's, here's the deal. It's, it's, it's easy and really hard all at the same time, right? Right? Because what we do is, is, is we hold people to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to, right? We hold them to a standard that, that we've created, not one that Jesus has. And if there's somebody you need to forgive, then, then the task is to simply forgive them because you have been forgiven. Remember, you are hidden in Christ. Jesus has forgiven you. You can forgive them. Y'all, does that mean you have to trust them again? No. No. If he cheated on you, you can forgive him. But you don't have to stay with him, right? You can forgive him, but you don't have to approve of that behavior. Because Jesus did that for us. He didn't say, I forgive you. Now you just go do what you want, child. He said, put on, therefore, these things. You can forgive him. You can forgive her. But you can say, here's what you're going to need to do before you come back into this home. Because I can't have that around our kids. And I certainly can't have that around me. But you can forgive and not hold it against them. But that doesn't mean you have to trust them. That's a whole different counseling session. That Just sign up. Wednesday at 10, we'll all be there together. <laughs> right? Because we don't hold grudges. We don't drink poison and expect them to get hurt. We can let them off the hook and let God deal with them. And if there's someone that's coming to your mind, let me tell you what you do. You just do, it's real easy. You go, I forgive you because I have been forgiven in Jesus. And, and you can say that to them if you want, but you don't have to. You can actually forgive somebody who's not with you anymore. And you can declare them forgiven to Jesus because Jesus has forgiven you. That's the first step. And y'all, it is the easiest step. And sometimes it is super freeing. And sometimes it makes no difference to your world whatsoever. The real work is when you remember what they did. And you want to hold it against them. And you have to repeat, I have forgiven them because Jesus has forgiven me. And eventually, that grudge that you hold that poison that you've been drinking becomes less and less and less. And y'all, that is freedom. And that is what Paul wants for the church in Colossae. That is what Paul wants for us. That is what Jesus wants for us, is that we forgive. And then Paul, to, 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 to help you do this, if that sounds really hard, don't worry, because 
Paul's going to sum this up. Right? In verse 14, he says this. And above all, in other words, if you didn't get anything out of this, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In other words, listen, if you can't do any of this, what Paul's saying is then for the sake of Jesus, just love each other. Right? Like if that is your marker, if your marker is to love each other, you'll figure the rest of this out. Right? And what is the result of a community who does this? Look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. And this peace of Christ, Paul takes this idea from, from the culture of him called the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And what the peace of Rome was, was this governmental instituted peace, which meant that if two Roman citizens or two people under the umbrella of the Roman Empire even got into a fight, the guards would be on them. And they would break up the fight, put them in jail, because the peace of Rome was the standard. And there was to be no fighting. There was to be no, no scuffles. There was to be no riots. There was to be no, no conflict, because the peace of Rome was that important. And if a little fist fight broke out, they would stop it and deal with it. And Paul is saying, yeah, the, the peace of Rome is great, but the peace of Christ is even better. And when that rules in a church, when a church is so intent on loving each other and, and forgiving each other and, and responding to each other in humility and meekness and gentleness and kindness, when all of that happens, if you dedicate your ways to the ways of Jesus being lived out in your life and expressed in a community of believers around you, you will have this great result of peace. And when that happens, church, what happens is thankfulness just explodes like fireworks. Because people come in and they go, this, this is what I've been looking for. A place of love. A place of acceptance. A place of truth and mercy. And I can tell you as your pastor, I see this here so many times. I see people come in, and they're here like one week, two weeks. Maybe they've been here for a while. And when they tell me the story, I hear the same comment over and over again, over again that, that they say, man, I walked in, and it just felt like home. That just felt like my place because it is a place of love, right? And I do, I say it all the time, I really do love being this church with you because we are figuring this whole Jesus thing out together. And it's a lot of fun, right? <laughs> it is for me. I hope it is for y'all. If not, go find a church that does. Like, like, because here, like, it's fun to be loved. It's fun to, it, it, it's fun to, to be in a group of people where, that pursue love and pursue loving each other and loving the community and and, 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 and it's a, a fun to be at a church where we are peacemakers, not peacekeepers, right? Which means we keep short accounts with each other. If, if I am hurt by you, I'm going to tell you, and we're going to talk through it, and it'll be good, right? If, 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 if I hurt you, I expect you to talk to me about it. Don't talk to other people about it. They don't care. Talk to me. Well, they might care. But you talk to me about it, right? It means we keep short accounts. It means we assume the best. It means we talk to each other. It means we don't accuse each other. 
Instead, we're curious. You see, that's how we operate. Now, church, i got to tell you, it's beautiful. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, what Paul says is that the word of Christ is to dwell in you richly, and dwell means to make a home, right? Now, the Continental Divide, how many of you have been driving up on the Blue Ridge and you see the sign for, like, the Continental Divide? What that means is that every bit of water, like, if you cross the Continental Divide, if you're standing right on it, it means any water that's on the water table is going to flow that way off the Continental Divide or that way off the Continental Divide. That's what it means. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus is our continental divide. And so when he is there, everything else flows from him. That Jesus and his words and all his words about him, they're our continental divide. And everything flows from him. And the way we do that is we set time aside to let the words of Jesus, to let the word of God dwell in us. We read our Bible. We listen to our Bible being read. We listen to sermons, right? We, we dwell in God's word. We meditate on it. We think about it. We read it. We journal about it. Whatever it is you're thinking. If you paint, you paint pictures that represent God's word. Whatever it is that you do, you do that with God's word at the center of it. Real quickly, um, uh, Jesus did this fast for 40 days. Can you imagine, like right after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit dwelt upon him, the voice of God came out and said, and said you're my beloved servant. Like, like he went straight into the desert and fasted. He didn't eat every, anything for 40 days. And in the book of Luke, it says, and he was hungry. Yeah, he didn't eat for 40 days. But what happened is after that 40 days is when Satan showed up to tempt him. And do you know what Jesus did to every temptation that Satan threw his way? He quoted the word of God. Church, our strength does not come from our stomach. Our strength does not come from our bodies. Our strength comes from the word of God dwelling richly in us, just like it did with Jesus. His body was depleted, but his strength was full. Because the word of God dwelled in him richly. And when that happens, we, we teach and admonish one another. We, we sing songs that are based on the words of God. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms are those words that, that, that are from the scriptures, based on the scriptures. Hymns are those songs that point us to Jesus. And spiritual songs are those songs that we create that do those things. And singing together builds this deepness and, and creativity in us. And then verse 17, we'll end here. It says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so, just to be clear, do we know what everything means? Guess what? Unfortunately, it means everything. And that means, that means what we're talking about here, patience, isn't needed just with each other. It's needed at Walmart. Amen? Right? It's needed, it's needed at work. It's needed in those places where you get to represent Jesus to a world that doesn't know him. We get to be the church here and we get to be the church out there. A.W. Tozier says this in The Pursuit of God, that when we find our identity in Jesus, he says this, it opens before us the possibility of making every act of our lives contribute to the glory of God. 
every act of our lives contribute to the glory of God. You see, thankfulness is a sign that, that, the, dwelling, that the, the, richest of, the richness of Jesus is dwelling in you. And thankfulness is this great indicator of your relationship with Jesus. He is your continental divide and your identity. And with that, thankfulness is one of those things that we see. Now, I've given you some steps in here, some action steps in here. You've circled things, you've drawn lines, you've, you've repeated stuff back to me. Here's what I want you to do. Take something from this message and practice it this week. Take something from this message and put to death and put on. And just see what happens. Right? Focus on your identity and Jesus changing you and changing your behavior. And listen, all this talk about Jesus, if you haven't said yes to him, then let today be the day. Like Let right now be the time that you do that. Because maybe you've been trying to change your life and coming to church is a part of that. And you think, well, I'm st- I, you know, I, can, I can turn over a new leaf. I can start a new chapter. I can go to church and do the things. Our faith isn't about doing the things. Our faith is about following a person. And that person is Jesus and receiving the gift of that person. And so if you haven't said yes to Jesus, then let today be the day that you do that. Because only through him can you truly change your life. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. And um, we need you. And so would you do your work of sanctification in us and change us? Help us to be a more patient, kind, humble, bearing with one another, forgiving one another congregation. Help us to love each other. In Christ's name I pray, amen.